Welcome to the To Faithful Men podcast. This project started in 2006 to preserve old sermon and study tapes of Wiley Flanagan, Hassel Wallace, and Mike Strevel. 2 Timothy 2.2 says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. Let's turn in the scriptures again this morning to the 21st chapter of the book of Matthew. Here we have the second of two parables. Actually, um, there's one more parable, really a series of three parables here in Matthew 21 and 22 concerning the same basic theme of the carrying forth of the gospel from the Jews to the Gentiles. Which thing the Jews were so abhorrent of and resisted so, so tenaciously, even after many of them were converted to, to Christianity, the thought of the Gentiles being a part of the family of God was, was uh, too, too difficult a thought for most of them. In the 21st chapter of the book of Matthew, we would just refresh your minds on the context. Jesus is in the, the last week of his life. Uh, he has the day before cleansed the temple by going in amongst those who had uh, brought their animals into the temple to buy and sell, and he had overturned the money changers' tables and, and taken a, a whip and driven out those who were buying and selling and and declared that my father's house shall be called of all nations a house of prayer. And you turned it into a den of thieves. And we had the very poignant episode of Jesus cursing the fig tree on his way into town that day. He comes to the fig tree, finds no fruit, curses it, so that it began to wither at that moment and never again bore any fruit. Now then he turns to, to the teaching and, and they come to Jesus and ask him, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you the authority to come in here and cleanse this temple? Who, can, who gave you authority to come in here and to say the things that you're saying? Well, Jesus, in his characteristically, um, I don't know what word to use here, uh, stubborn, difficult way in dealing with these Pharisees, said, well, I'll tell you what, I've got a question for you, and if you'll answer me, I'll answer you. The baptism of John, he says, was it from heaven or of men? Well, they went off and huddled, and, and they said, well, you know, if we say it was from heaven, he'll say, why didn't you believe if we say it was for men, then we're afraid of the people. They're worried about their self-esteem. Uh, They're worried about how people view them. And so they came back and said, well, we don't really know. And so Jesus says, I'm not going to tell you either. You didn't tell me, I'm not going to tell you. But he did actually tell them in this parable, these parables, he tells them by what authority he does these things. Now they took it personally and were offended we, on the other hand, draw the message from these parables that Jesus taught. 
So last week we looked at the first of these three and Jesus taught about the man who had two sons. He said to the one first son, go work in my field. He says, okay, dad, I'm going. And, but he never went. He says to the second son, son, go work in my field. Okay, dad. No, wait a minute. Not him. He says, I'm not going to go. But he repented and went. And remember we talked about the other son. The one who would be the best of all the three is to say, I'll go and then go. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew they would perceive that he was talking about the Pharisees. So we talked about the sin of Phariseeism and, and how that we, we confessed. I hope that you confessed in your heart as, as I confessed with my lips that we all are, are too, too prone to Phariseeism. It's an easy way to go. It's a way of, in which one says, but does not. He says a lot of things. He puts on a good show. He, he has a lot of pretense, but when it came right down to actually doing what he was supposed to do, he, he didn't go. Well, now Jesus teaches another parable right on the heels of that. And we start reading on that in Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. If last week we discussed the nature of Phariseeism, here, here today, the awful consequences of Phariseeism. Oh, may God, may God pierce every one of our hearts as we consider the awful fruit of Phariseeism. Matthew chapter 21 verse 33. Here another parable. There was a certain householder which planted a vineyard and hedged it round about, digged a wine press in it, and built a tower, and let it out to husbandmen, and went into a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits of it. And the husbandmen took his servants and beat one and killed another and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise, did unto them likewise. But last of all, he sent unto them his son, saying, They will reverence my son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. When the Lord therefore of the vineyard comes, what will he do unto those husbandmen? They say unto him, he will miserably destroy those wicked men and will let out his vineyard to other husbandmen which shall render unto him the fruits in their season. Jesus saith unto them, Did you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore say I unto you, The kingdom of God shall be taken from you, and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. And when the chief priests and Pharisees had heard this par his parables, they perceived that he spake of them. But when they sought to lay hands on him, they feared the multitude because they took him for a prophet. Well, the meaning of this prop, this, this parable is crystal clear. The elements of it are, are indisputable. 
Here, this husbandman is God. You read in the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah, a parable that Isaiah took up, where God is speaking to Israel. And of course, they, they knew this. They, they understood this. They perceived this. Jesus is really answering their question. By what authority do you do this? The one who planted the vineyard in Israel sent me. That's his authority. He answers their question. In Isaiah, it tells about God planting Israel as a vineyard. He did everything for Israel that could possibly be done. But he said when he went and looked on this vineyard to receive the fruits, instead of getting good grapes, he got sour grapes. He got bad fruit. And it goes on there in the fifth chapter of the book of Isaiah to enumerate the, the, the problems that were going on. He, he enumerates several things. One is that they had become a bloodthirsty people. They'd become a people who were obsessed with violence. And then the other is they'd become obsessed with partying, drunken festivals, and partying and carrying on. And, and because of that, he says, because you have neglected justice and mercy, and you sought only your own goodwill and your own pleasure. He says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tear down the hedges around the vineyard. I'm going to let the wild animals come in upon it. And I will not care for it as I once did. Of course, the, also the prophecy is of restoration. Now, that imagery is very clear in the minds of Jesus' hearers. Here's a man who has planted a vineyard. This is undoubtedly God. He has planted a vineyard that is undoubtedly Israel. He he uses the exact same terms. He built the tower. That's told about in Isaiah chapter 5. He built the wine press. Told about in Isaiah chapter 5. He hedged it about. He gave it every advantage. And then he went into a far country and left it to husbandmen to tend it, to care for it, and to Produce fruit from it. When the time came to go and receive the fruit, these wicked husbandmen mistreated these servants. This is obviously the prophets that God sent, teachers that God sent to Israel to warn them, to teach them, to help them. And they rejected the counsel of those prophets and would not listen to the teachers whom God had sent. And finally he says, I will send my son. They will reverence my son. Jesus, of course, here speaking of himself. But now, no, they did not stop and think, ah, he has sent his son. We better, we better pay attention. We better do the right thing. No, say they. Here's the, here's the heir. If we'll kill him, then we'll seize the vineyard. It will be ours. So they take the son out and kill him. Jesus asked those Pharisees, what do you think ought to happen? To those people. Oh, their righteous indignation was quite stirred. Reminds us of when Nathan came before David and told him the parable of the, of the man who, who was an owner of many sheep and, and went and took the one little lamb of his neighbor so that he could feed his, his guest. And David was incensed and said, whoever did that ought to be put to death. And Nathan says, you are the man. Well, that's exactly what happens here. Unhappily, the reaction is not the same. When Nathan said to David, Thou art the man, because David truly loved God, 
because he knew he had made a terrible mistake and he had sinned a gross sin before God. His heart was smitten before God and he repented of his sin in great sorrow and God forgave him of his sin and restored him to his office and to usefulness in the kingdom of God. But not these Pharisees. Jesus said, what do you think ought to happen to those men? Ah, they ought to, he ought to come and he ought to mercilessly kill those men. That's a terrible thing they've done. Jesus says to them, thou art the man. By quoting this psalm, Psalm 118, he says, have you never read that the, that the stone which the builders rejected has now become the head of the corner? Now here's the word picture. Jesus changes metaphors if that's what it is. Um, here's the stone. And they're looking for a stone to occupy this place of prominence. It's the cornerstone. It's the chief cornerstone. Usually it has something engraved upon it. It's, it's the stone to which one's attention is drawn. Much like if you go into a, a public building and there's a stone there that has an inscription engraved upon it. You do not look at all of the stones that are built into this building. Your eyes are drawn to that one. It's the chief cornerstone. And not only that, you look for one of a cornerstone, a chief cornerstone that had, that had uh, the qualities of endurance. You wanted a really good cornerstone. Men's eyes were going to be drawn to it. The stability of the building was based upon it. And so they're looking for this cornerstone. And they see this one that's perfect in every way. This is just the right one. But they reject it. He says, have you never read that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner? Now, Jesus is not through with this allegory. When he announces the terrible consequences of Phariseeism. Now, what is Phariseeism? Basically, simply, it is saying and not doing. That's why all throughout the Scriptures we're exhorted to be faithful hearers of the Word. In the book of James we hear read this. And doers of the work. That we do not want to be those who just hear what God says and then not do what God has told us to do. What a sad thing it is for God to send His Word. To send His Word to His people repetitively. To send His Word to His people through His preachers, through His prophets, through His teachers, through the Bible itself. All the things that you and I need for righteous living and, and holiness before God and happiness while we live here in this world. Phariseeism is taking all of those things, hearing them, maybe making some sort of good show about them, maybe saying nice things about the preacher or maybe not saying nice things about the preacher, maybe high-sounding things about the Word of God, putting the book itself in some prominent place in our homes, on some table, some place where it can be seen that we, we have a Bible, we, we think there's some value in the Bible, but then not doing what God has said. Now, if you and I do not confess that we've got that tendency, we're sunk already. Because you and I do. We all do. We all have pharisaical tendencies. We all want to make a good show of saying that we 
think that things are a certain way, but then when it comes right down to doing it, we make an excuse, maybe even worse, and persecute those who tell us the way of truth. You know, the simple things of of love and kindness and gentleness and forgiveness and faith, those things that sound so, so good. Do they not sound good? Who among us does not love to hear the Scripture that says uh, that be kind one to another and tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you? We all see how good that is. It sounds so pleasant. But what about when it comes right down to doing it? Oftentimes we have the Pharisee in us and we want to say good things about the verses and not do it. So we must recognize that we have that that tendency. We must work against, yea, we must war against this tendency or else it will it will overwhelm us before we even know that it has overwhelmed us. And we'll be we'll be stooped in such a a a low a state of stupor that we would even be angry at those who tell us where we are. Let it not be that that would come upon us. For it will. It creeps upon us like fog off the sea. and overcomes us before we even know what has overcome us. And so he, he makes this awful pronouncement. Oh, listen, my friends, hear and tremble. Oh, let us be this day as those who tremble at the word of the Lord. Hear this word and tremble. Therefore say I unto you, the kingdom of God shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. The kingdom of God taken from you. What is what is the kingdom of God? It's the rule of God, the reign of God. Being a part of God's gracious and loving and, and glorious rule here in this world, that it will be taken from you as though somehow there are some who possess this. Indeed, that is the case. The Lord Jesus Himself said in John chapter 3 that except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. There are many people in the day in which we live who do not see the kingdom of God. He says in verse 5 that, that one must have this heavenly birth before he can enter into the kingdom of God. Well, that just makes good sense. If you can't see it, you sure won't enter it. If you do not esteem its value, if you do not rejoice in its value, you will never desire to be a partaker of it. But surely we've all seen the kingdom of God. Surely we've all been blessed with eyes to see and ears to hear the glorious truths of the Word of God. And if that be not the case this morning, in any person who is sitting under the sound of my voice, may you this day cry out to God for His mercy so that you also might see the glory of the kingdom of God and, and have a great hunger in your heart to enter into the kingdom of God. To, to be a part of this glorious rule and the reign of God that was given to the Jews. 
Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, to them, to the Jews, were given the law, the ordinances, and the prophets. They had a great blessing. And there was this, what he calls a wall of partition. It was an impenetrable wall between the Jews who had the kingdom and the Gentiles who were outside the rule of God, the, the pale of the kingdom of God. There was this great wall of partition so that so that even under God's law of the Old Testament, no Gentile would be a partaker of the blessings of the Jews, unless, of course, he were to convert to Judaism and subject himself to the law of God, and some did. But now the Apostle Paul declares to us that God has now broken down this middle wall of partition between us, that is, between Jews and Gentiles, and He has made peace through the blood of His cross, so that now it is those who by faith commit their lives to the Lord Jesus Christ, it is they who are evidently a part of the kingdom of God, who are evidently a part of the rule and the reign of God, those who by faith have committed their lives to Jesus Christ to follow Him. And we trust that we all have that blessing, but the Jews had that. They had the kingdom, much as we have the kingdom today. You know, it saddens me. We were talking about this this morning. In our little prayer meeting, we have someone was telling me about, Sister Melissa Beecham was telling about an experience she had up in Washington State. Just a conversation she overheard at a flea market or something about these two women talking about some stones. And, and these stones were, 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 had some sort of mystical power that there was one stone that was your stone. It was made for you. And, and if you wear this stone, it, 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 it provides peace and happiness. And, and if you just, if you kind of make the mistake and you wear somebody else's stone, you'll start having nightmares and, you know, think, you know what that made me think of? Heathen paganism. But it's not over in India. It's in America. And I, I, I'm aggrieved in my soul that, that the kind of mystic, heathenistic, uh, things that, that have been away from this, this country. There was a time when almost any rational person would think about Sure, hanging a rock around your neck is going to make you have bad dreams or make you have peace or whatever. This is your rock. What is this? Some talisman that, that the heathen would wear to, to ward off the evil spirits? You know, is it taking a pinch of salt and throwing it over your shoulder to keep the devil away from you? This kind of superstitious nonsense is creeping into American culture because people have forgotten the rule and the law of God. And the degree to which we lose the rule of God and the law of God in, in our nation as a whole, and of course this, this, is, this is a particularly important thing to the church of the living God, which is the visible aspect of the kingdom, the visible arm of the kingdom, the most visible aspect of the rule and the reign of God is in the church of the living God, which is declared to be the pillar and ground of the truth, how important it is for us to imbibe sound doctrine. But oh, my friends, that is not enough. The Pharisees imbibed sound doctrine. They said and did not. Even among our own primitive Baptists, 
I don't say a lot about Primitive Baptist. Yay or nay. Most of you, most of you were not raised Primitive Baptist. Most of you do not have a Primitive Baptist heritage and background. I hope that, I hope that those of us who do would endeavor in any way act towards those who do not as somehow second class citizens in some ways. I consider you to have some aspect of a blessing that we do not have because there's always baggage that you bring along and it's good not to have the baggage. It's great to have the heritage. I love my old Baptist heritage. But sometimes dragging some of that baggage along is is uh, tedious. Well, you know, all throughout the history of the primitive Baptists, we have stood against missionary societies, parachurch organizations that were designed to to do what God intended for the church to do. I believe our forefathers did well in resisting that. And all throughout the course of, of this 200 years since this has been fomenting in, in America, the old Baptists have always said, we believe that God's ministers ought to go wherever God leads, whether it's across the street or across the ocean, and they ought to go as they're led of God and the churches ought to help them. Well, they said the right thing. But then when somebody actually did it, he has become a target of criticism because he has, they have done, they have said, but they have done not. Listen, if we as old Baptists think sometimes that we're, that all of this trouble is outside somewhere and the problem somebody else, then we ourselves will find ourselves with, with the judgment of God falling upon our head. And indeed, I believe that it has in many ways. I don't know how anybody could 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 uh, construe uh, the fact that a lot of primitive Baptist churches all across this this country have have closed their doors, gone out of existence as some kind of a sign of God's blessing. But believe it or not, some do. I do not. It is a sign of God's judgment. It is a sign of God's distress. Because God is going to give His kingdom to those who will bring forth its fruit. If it's not you, if it's not the Ripley Primitive Baptist Church, if it is not I, let me tell you, my friends, it will be somebody. God's going to have His kingdom. God's going to have His rule. God's going to have His reign here on this earth. And hear the rest of the stone parable, and whosoever shall fall on this stone shall be broken, but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind him to powder. tells us this, you do not resist the law of Christ without consequence. If you fall on this stone, that is, you throw yourself on this stone, the, the word picture, the idea here is you're assailing the stone. Imagine the, the, the stupidity of a man who would try to attack a stone as though he could destroy it. And yet people have done that. People have gone against Christ. They've fought against Christ. And all they have done is to be broken to pieces. Because the, the Bible tells us that there will be faith on the earth when Jesus Christ comes again. It may just be a faithful remnant. But no one will ever completely and successfully fight against the rule and the reign of God in the person of the King of the Kingdom of God, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. 
So let it not be said that either we collectively as a church or as a denomination or as a, or as a nation of people or you and I as individuals, God forbid that we'd ever be found opposing the Word of God. The Word of God which is the revelation of God. Which tells us about His rule and His reign. But, ah, he says, but on whomsoever this shall fall, it will grind him to powder. Either way, you lose. Now, the Lord Jesus Christ descended upon the Jews, we might say in judgment in 70 A.D., according to his prophecy in Matthew chapter 25, and he ground them to powder. The nation of Israel ceased to exist as a nation, and they have wandered over this earth, a persecuted people ever since. God took away the kingdom from them. It was His. It was His to give to whomsoever He will. And now He has given it to others. We, we trust this day that He has given it to us. We hope that we, do we not, that we are part of the sweet kingdom of God, of the glorious rule and the reign of God. Do we not hope for that? Do we not believe that? Surely we do. And indeed, we trust that it is true that we have been born again by the Spirit of God. We've seen the kingdom and the glory of the kingdom and we've been blessed to enter into the kingdom of God. Not only in the new birth is each of us individually, but our church collectively and our people as a whole. But hear this. Let us turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Romans where again this expression is found. This expression is used repeatedly throughout the Scripture. And think about it. Here's this stone. It's the perfect stone. It is just exactly what is needed for the occasion. And men passed over it. Said it was not good enough. Uh, let it never be said of us that the Lord Jesus Christ was not the best. That He did not deserve our praise. That He did not deserve the best of our lives. Let it be said of us what, that, that we tried to comply with what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33. When He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. All oh, that God would bless you and me to always put the kingdom of God first. That is the rule and the reign of God, the righteous laws of God, the holy commandments of God. May that always be first and foremost in our lives. And not our own self-seeking ways, not our own self-pleasure. Ah, but it is hard. It requires eternal vigilance. It requires great strength from, from God. And it takes great determination upon, on our part to follow in that course. In Romans chapter 9, you, you know how that Romans 9, 10, 11 form a, a unit of thought in the book of Romans. And in Romans 9, 10, 11, natural Israel and spiritual Israel are, are, are constantly being contrasted and compared. There's all this, all this is going on in the book of the 9th, 10th, and 11th chapter of the book of Romans. Notice in verse 30. What shall we say then? This is Romans 9. That the Gentiles which followed not after the righteousness have attained to the righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. He, he says, Do, or is this not true? He's writing to Gentiles, predominantly Gentile people. 
they have attained this. The kingdom has been given to them. It has been given to the Gentiles. It has been taken away from the Jews. The Jews are not in the kingdom of God now. They're not a part of the rule and reign of God now. They're outside of that. The Gentiles are inside that pale. But notice, but Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, has not obtained the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it, sought it not by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Sion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. It's the same quote from the 118th book of Psalm that Jesus quotes there in Matthew chapter 21. That Israel threw itself against this stone. They said to the stone, they said to the sun, this is the heir, let us kill him. Do you remember, uh, this just kind of clicked with me the other day. Remember something that the Pharisees, that, that, uh, the Pharisees said when, when the apostles were preaching after the, the, the death of Christ. They said they, as they huddled among themselves and said, look, we gotta do something about this. Hear it, hear it. Or our place will be taken away. You see, the, the Romans had had uh, given to these Jewish authorities much autonomy. As long as they kept true to, to the Roman law, the Jewish people, of course, as a whole, were rejecting that and, and were all this revolution was fomenting among the Jews that finally came to a full force in the year 70 A.D. when the Romans came and crushed Israel finally and forever and destroyed Jerusalem. Well, see, the Pharisees didn't want that to happen because their place was taken away. And sometimes we think about our place. We do not want our place taken away. Listen, it's not our place. It's God's place. If there's anything about this that's right, God gave it to us. God has the right to give it to us. God has the right to take it away from us. Oh, then Paul declares in verse chapter 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. But they've not, they've thrown themselves on the stone and they're bearing the consequence. But we're not through. Go over here to the 11th chapter. At the end of this discussion, verse 25, Romans 11:25. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceit. Now he's talking to Gentiles. My friends, he's talking to you and me. And if we do not if we do not receive this as words to us, we will miss this and we will repeat history. He says that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. Let me chase just a little rabbit here. I love this expression, the fullness of the Gentiles. The more modern versions bring out the bring out the true essence of this. This is speaking of this is speaking uh quantitatively. He's speaking the fullness of the Gentiles is the fullness of numbers. You know, the Bible tells us that the Lord knows them that are His. He's known them from all eternity. God God has the name of every Gentile that will ever ever live with God in glory forever. He has every one of them written on the palm of His hand. They're written in the Lamb's book of life on the foundation of the world. They're His. And so one of these days, one of these days, the last one's going to be born. The last one is going to come into existence and the fullness of the Gentiles will be come in. It'll be over with the Gentiles. The last one has come. Notice this. And so all Israel shall be saved 
as it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they, that's the Jews, are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, that is God's choice of a people, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance. Now, I don't want to get into all this as a whole nother subject. I believe the Bible is teaching in this that God is yet, God yet has purpose for the Jews as a nation. I believe God will yet bring them in. When, where, and how is a matter of much discussion. But notice verse 29. The gifts and calling of God are without repentance. When God said to Abraham, I will bless you and your descendants forever, that's exactly what he meant. Even though Paul uses the expression that they are not all Israel which are of Israel, they're still a natural Israel and a spiritual Israel. Okay, I, that's, I've chased that rabbit as far as I'm going to. But here's the point. Move up, moving along here. For as in... For as in times past have not believed, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief, even so have these also now, uh, which have, uh, even so these also now which have not believed, that through your mercy they shall have, they shall obtain mercy. I want to go back up a few verses to, before this. He says in verse 20, Well, because of unbelief, they, the Jews, were broken off. The kingdom of God was taken from them. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. Now God has taken away the kingdom from those, from the nation to whom he had originally given it. Why? Because of unbelief. Because they said, but did not. They had the motions of religion without the heart. And God said it like this. This is a people who draw near to me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Now, the word to you and me today is this. Be not high-minded, but fear. Oh, let us not think, hey, we live in America, the land of the free and the home of the brave. We live in the land that's been blessed by God and, 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 the, and the last real stronghold of, of, of Christianity perhaps on the planet at one time. You know who's kicking up? Listen to this. Do you know who's kicking up the biggest fuss about ordaining the homosexual uh, bishop among the Episcopalians? Uh, there's a lot of Americans kicking up the fuss. And I praise God for every one of them. I hope they kick up a lot of dust. But do you know who's kicking up the most dust? Africans. South American, Asians in the in the Anglican uh, communion, they are planting their feet and saying we're not going there. Isn't that something? Another interesting thing I've noticed about Africa. I can't exactly explain this. Think about it. All right, you know your old Tarzan movies, right? Think about it. go back to all your old Tarzan movies. What what, what were the Africans doing? In the old Tarzan movie. Well, they were running around half naked, right? That's what they did in the Tarzan movie. And, and the only reason they put anything on them is, you know, you couldn't put it on television if you didn't have a little something on. When, 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 uh, when white missionaries came into Africa, uh, 200 years ago, we found naked people running around, killing each other, eating each other, believing all kinds of superstitious, uh, things. 
But you know this? I've noticed this about Africa. Do you know that the people of Africa dress more modestly than the people of, of America? I'm just always amazed. I thought we'd get over there and I'd have to be averting my eyes and, and, and you know. But, you know, they, they, dress, they dress more modestly than we do. They live in hot places. And yet, as I drive through, uh, even in some of the hottest places down in Uganda, I, I, see, I see people dressed. And I think, what a turnaround. We've taken off our clothes in America, and they put their clothes on. We, we have come to this high and, high and arrogant place where, where we want to embrace all of the, the, uh, the, uh, peoples and, 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 you know, homosexuality is just, uh, just some, is just a variant, not even, a, not even a perverse, just a variant way of looking at things and, and seeing things and, but they're over there saying, look, oh, that's not right. That's not according to God's Word. And you know that Africa and South America, Latin America, are the only places on the planet where Christianity, I'll use that word loosely, is growing in numbers. What's happening in Europe? You know, they're afraid, and they're, they're, they're afraid that this is going to happen. They're afraid to talk about it, too, so it's going to happen. They're afraid to talk about it, so it's going to happen. Um, they're worried to death about all the immigrants that are coming into to Europe. Because one of these days, they're going to take over Europe. And you're not going to have France. And you're not going to have French culture and, and German culture and Italian culture because these people are coming in. The, 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 uh, the thing that kind of brought all this about was uh, a ruling by some Italian judge that all of the schools in Italy had to take crucifixes off the wall. Almost in every school in Italy has a crucifix on the wall. Well, that's superstitious religion. But the thing is, all these Muslims and Hindus and people are coming into Italy and they're offended by these Christian symbols. And they're being assailed. And so we've already been experiencing that here here in America. This is not an anti-immigration thing. It's saying this. The kingdom of God has been given to us I don't mean us as primitive Baptists. I don't mean us as Ripley primitive Baptists. I'm talking about to us as Gentiles, as a people. God has given it to us. Let us not be high-minded, but fear. High-minded is the opposite of humble. God's given it to us. It's a treasure to keep. And fear, live in reverence. The opposite of that would be irreverence and a lack of real thought towards what God has given to us. God has given that to you and me. May God bless us to never come to the place to where we would do what the Jews were doing. Jesus said, have you not ever read that the stone which the builders rejected the same has become the head of the corner? Did when Jesus said that? They looked at that stone and they said, you're not it. And they threw themselves on that stone and we're broken. Sometimes we have a Jesus of our imagination, but let us not concoct one of our imagination. Let us fall before the one that is. The one who has indeed declared the end from the beginning. May God bless each one of us to have a deep hunger in his heart, in her heart, to hear what God says and try to live by what God said, as simply and humbly 
and obediently as we know how. Asking God for strength to not resist His Word. Asking God for strength not to find ourselves in opposition to, to Him. Unwittingly, certainly not knowingly. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we think on these parables of Phariseeism, we do tremble. Because we we see, Lord, our own tendencies. We confess that we're not free of all of this. And the longer we go along in, in this kingdom, the more apt we are to become lackadaisical and high-minded. As though you owe us the kingdom. Lord, you took it from the Jews, the people that you loved, and you gave it to the Gentiles and other people you loved. And you've already told us that you will, you will take it from us when the fullness has come in. According to your purpose and divine will. And so, Lord, I pray for every one of us here today that you would bless us to be simple, humble, obedient servants of the King and love the kingdom and live and bask in its glory and fear always to in any way deny it. Lord, bless us to seek the kingdom of God first in your righteousness in all things that we say and do. Help us, O Lord, for we are weak creatures of dust and ashes and we'll never do it on our own. We need you, O God. We plead and beg for your help. Be Thou our strong tower, O God. Be our bulwark and our shield. Be our helper and our defender. We need You every day, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe and share with a friend. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain, in the Lord.